and welcome to Let's Jaws for a Minute, the podcast which takes a deep dive into Steven Spielberg's 1975 classic film Jaws, minute by minute or thereabouts. I'm Sarah Budgery. And I am MJ Smith. And this week we don't have a guest, so we will hop right into the discussion of our scene. Uh, the timestamp this week is one hour and 41 minutes and 45 seconds through one hour and 43 minutes on the dot. So one hour, 43 minutes and zero seconds. Um, it is a f- one minute and 15 seconds of uh, watch time for us this week. And what happens is in the aftermath of the barrel chase from last week, <clears throat> pardon me, in, in the aftermath of the barrel chase from last week, the barrels come back up to the surface unattached to the shark and Brody comments on that and basically goes into freak out mode a, a little bit, a little bit less, but still freak out mode, uh, asking what, what to do next. And, uh, Quint circles the orca back around and has Brody and Hooper fish the barrels out of the, the ocean and tie them back up, um, into the figure eight, not around the cleat. Um, and in doing so, Brody, traps Hooper between the rope and the boat and has to assist him out of that situation. And uh, that's basically it, right? Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah, so that's that's what happens in the scene. Um, Sarah, what did you notice about this scene? I would like to first talk about how much I really enjoy the shot of the the barrels just bobbing alongside the boat. It's always just been really funny to me and I'm not sure why. It might be because every time I put like a jaunty little tune to it in my head whilst I'm watching watching it because those barrels are just like the way they kind of move through the water. Like they look like people, which is a kind of weird thing to say, but it's just like these two little figures bobbing along like, it's just really, really funny to me. Um, and the, the serious point of that is just that I, I, I like the, there's almost like a, a, a pause. So before the orca starts moving or before they sort of, um, kick the engine off again, and the barrels like stop at the same time. And then when the orca starts moving again, the barrels start moving. And it suggests this idea of the shark kind of toying with them, kind of playing mm. with them a little bit, which I think is maybe why I've always then just like added my own soundtrack to it and made it this really whimsical uh, little moment of these two barrels just having a merry old time bobbing alongside the boat. But because it is an unusual thing to do and we've established like many times that the shark acts in a way that is not like a normal shark which is why it proves to be so difficult to catch and sort of seems to be outsmarting them and doing things that maybe sharks don't normally do and this is definitely another example of that I think because the fact that they it's like they stop wait for the orca to start moving and then they start like moving as well and obviously we're seeing the barrels in the place of the shark uh at this moment in time so i am also imagining the shark being like what yeah uh, are you gonna go yeah i'm gonna go now <laughs> like really like really messing with them below the surface so it's a very 
uh, funny thought to me um, that amuses me at the beginning of this scene. <laughs> uh, I do like the idea of the the Sherman brothers coming in to score a little ditty for the uh, yes. for the barrels. Yeah. See, it's not just me. <laughs> uh, I, yeah. I've never ascribed like a, a weird little number to them, but now I definitely will because mm-hmm. it, they almost look like uh, synchronized swimmers in a Busby Berkeley musical, but yes. Yeah. The, 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 the B team version of that. <laughs> um. Yep. In a similar vein, sort of, not that it makes me laugh, but the sound design in this scene is real good. It's uh, the 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 noise of the barrels bouncing up and down on the water is really satisfying to me. And there's this, it's so brief. Uh, it's so brief that I don't know why they did this. But as they're coming up on the barrels, <coughs> excuse me, as they're coming up on the barrels, they the sound starts in your left headphone and just moves into both of them. And it is a split second. I like I, it feels like they only did it because they could, which if you're familiar with people who do sound design in movies, happens all the time. Um if you liked Hamilton on Disney Plus. There is, I want to, I want to give a shout out to the, I mean, Dolby doesn't necessarily need promotion, but, um, sound design, I think it's on Dolby. Yes. So the, um, the Dolby Institute has a podcast, um, and they interviewed the people who did the mix for Hamilton. Uh, and it's really, really interesting. If you're a sound nerd like I am, uh, absolutely seek out that podcast. It's so fascinating. But there's, oh, can you hear that? Yeah, a little. That's the boiler in our apartment. <laughs> it's alive. <laughs> it sounds like it runs on human souls. Um <laughs> It's the image that you put in our Discord uh, come to life. <laughs> yeah, they look like people. <laughs> um, so, but in in that interview, they talk about so much stuff that they did that is just for them. No one's ever mm-hmm. going to notice this stuff. And the only thing I could think of is because they originally mixed it for a theatrical release that they did some of the stuff that they did. So mm-hmm. in Hamilton, they... There's parts of it where they put like the the they put a camera overhead and like maybe two or three shots in the movie there's an overhead shot of the the cast dancing doing their car- choreography in the middle of one of the numbers. In that podcast they say that when that when it goes to those shots they shoot the mix up to ceiling speakers. So if you're watching in a Dolby Atmos setup, the ceiling speakers will have the sound coming down on top of you because the shot is coming down on top of the cast, which is awesome. But no one has a Dolby Atmos setup right now. Like <laughs> it is very few and far between that people have that setup in their home. 
And you're not going to notice when you see it on Disney Plus because it's not like it's just going to sound the same uh, unless you have a Dolby Atmos setup in your home. It's a great touch. And I absolutely like as a fellow sound designer, I was like, yeah, that's the kind of dumb bullshit that we do all the time where you're like, it's one of those things you put in there for other people who do sound (laughs) so that when you show it to them, you can look at them and be like, did you see that or did you hear that? Did you hear? <laughs> did you hear what I did there? Uh, which happens all the time, by the way. Like if you're mixing something with someone and you do something that you're like, I did that for you. Um, <laughs> it's a total sound designer attitude. I don't know what it is, but it is universal <laughs> in my experience. And that's the only thing I could think of because when I heard it while I was watching it right now, before we started recording, I was like, they did that for no one except themselves. Like there's, there's <laughs> no reason for them to have done that because it's, I mean, it is, I think it's less than a second that it's, it's in your left speaker exclusively. Hmm. Yeah. I didn't even, I didn't pick up on that at all, but also I'm not surprised that I didn't pick up on it. <laughs> yeah. Don't be, uh, it's, it's <laughs> I, I mean, my ears are trained for that kind of stuff, but I wouldn't have noticed otherwise. And I wouldn't have noticed. That's the thing. I didn't notice until I watched it with headphones. Mm, Never noticed that in a theater. (laughs) I think this is a, like, a lot of people have said, like, people who have listened to this podcast have said, since we've sort of said this is our preferred way of watching the film, and that's not one minute at a time, but it is when we watch the, the clips that we're for the scene that we're talking about we both tend to watch it with headphones so we're getting that kind of immersive sound and also with subtitles and a lot of people have said that they've like they've tried that and they've heard different things or picked up on different things and seen different things and I'm like yeah I I, I'm not saying it works for everything but I think Mm -hmm. there's a certain merit to it like if, if I really want to hear something like if I'm writing about something and I'm and I'm, I'm talking about something really specific in the scene whether it's you know the, the the piece of music or the sound design or a particular line delivery or something I will listen to it with my really good headphones on because I just think that it's the the best way of really sounds really pretentious but just like really immersing yourself like in that moment and you do pick up on things that you wouldn't have done before yeah um 142 21 is the timestamp if you want to listen for yourself by the way um i would start it maybe two seconds before that just to get used to it because it's it's i mean it's it's one sound effect (laughs) that happens (laughs) is, is what i just learned listening back to it it's like a little water droplet effect like you know how people can make a water droplet noise with their mouth it yeah. sounds like that. Um, oh, nice. And then it just it just fades into the into the mix where it's centered in both speakers. Um, mm-hmm. But because it enters from the left-hand side of the frame, they did that. It's a nice touch. It really is like, it's really great. <laughs> um, but <laughs> it's also like, it, they didn't need to, they didn't need to go that hard. It was, mm. it was fine without it. <laughs> they did this just for you, MJ. <laughs> right. They were like, someday. Someday. <laughs> this sound engineer is going to, Minute by minute through this film. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's very specific, but that is, uh, I believe that is fact. Um, <laughs> the You can't prove so, us wrong, so... Yeah, that's fact. exactly. 
what are you going to do? Go back in time and ask them? No, can't do it. Yeah. So. Was this a Ben Burt? <laughs> Did Ben Burt work on this? Because if Ben Burt worked on this, then everything is on the table for me. Mm. Um, it also won for sound, didn't it? The I believe so. Jaws. Yeah. Um, yeah, it won best best sound, best film editing, best score. Obviously, yeah. Um, that was it. <laughs> mm, he did not work on Jaws. Mm. What films uh, has, he, has he done that I... Uh, uh, oh, uh, Wally, Star Wars. Oh, um, uh, okay. Uh, yeah, another really good recommendation. If uh, watch the um, the Star Wars movies with the commentary track on them, uh, mm. it, uh, they're chaos. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Irvin Kirshner does nothing but describe what's happening in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh Carrie Fisher just tries to remember if she remembers filming those scenes because of how drugged out she was. And uh, Ben Burt is the only one giving anything meaningful to the commentary. (laughs) But it's the Ben Burt parts of the commentary are incredible. The man, he's, he's like a legendary sound designer. He's, I think he's worked on everything Lucas has ever done. Um, And he's done a lot of, of, he did all the, I think he did the sound for, uh, the Jedi Fallen Order video game, but he talks mm. about like how he came up with the whirring of the gears in C-3PO when he moves around. And it was like a broken motor for an automatic window roll, like uh, rolling up your windows. It was, it was a broken motor for that, that he filmed. And mm. like Chewbacca is like a, it's a seal that he mm. recorded through a tube and then played backwards? <laughs> what? Yeah. Wh- what? <laughs> I am so weirdly fascinated by all of that stuff when you just like, particularly an iconic sound like that, like everyone knows mm. what Chewbacca sounds like and then you learn how they made that noise. I'm just like, that is very cool. I just <laughs> find it super interesting. <laughs> Yeah, um, he also has a commentary on uh, on Wally, I think. Um, mm. That's also definitely worth because that that whole first um, maybe it's just a feature on the DVD, but if you can find it, it's really really interesting to hear how he came up with the sounds for that movie, especially because of the first half being so yeah. sound effects that? driven. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, the man's a, a next level genius and like he every time he's i've heard how he describes how he gets the sound for some of the stuff i'm like how the what like how do you even how do you even arrive at like trying to do that i feel like someone's brain has to operate in a certain way to be able Mm -hmm. to do that like to hear one thing and be like oh if i record it in that way or if i manipulate it in this way it can sound like the thing that i want like, I feel like that is not a skill that everybody has. <laughs> mm-hmm. And if you do have it, then that is very, very cool. I, I'm particularly keen to check the the thing about Wally because I really love that film and it is so reliant on sound in the beginning because that's all there is. Um, and I feel like people talk about the score a lot because it is great, but also it's the, the sounds is what is bringing 
these characters to to life it's not all in the score so mm, i will definitely be checking that out i hope it's on the i'm sure i can find a clip of him talking about it if not on yeah. like the full commentary or something but yeah i will definitely be looking out for that and uh Speaking of uh, another genius working on the film, Werner Fields, who we mention mm -hmm. a lot, um, and it's this is going to sound like a really basic thing, and no one's allowed to come for me because I'm acknowledging that it's very basic what I'm about to say. Um, <laughs> this is how things work. Um, in, it's the very, very opening shot um, of this bit that we're talking about, and Hooper and Quint are on the top of the boat, and Brody is down the bottom, and it's sort of looking, for, it's shot from far away, and we're looking at the orca from, from the side. And then there's a cut. And in that cut, when it goes to then a close-up of Brody, as he's sort of acknowledging that the, that the barrel's up again, um, before that, Hooper is, like, coming down the steps. But in, like, the wide, like, long shot, we see Hooper approaching the steps, and then he is coming down the steps. And I know this is called editing, but it's just really, it's just really seamless. And I think that if we're going to call out continuity errors or mistakes you know air quotes around mistakes um in the film then we should also call out the continuity non-errors or successes as they're sometimes also known but um i just it's just very satisfying when because of the the edit things line up exactly as they should do <laughs> it just makes my little heart happy yeah, this entire sequence is so well edited. I mean, we talked about it last week from the <clears throat> the chase sequence. It's it's so edited perfectly to that piece of music. Um, and I just, I mean, editing is a, that's a separate art form that really I can't wrap my head around. You know, like no. I, I have no idea when you, it's, uh, hear about like a movie that shot a hundred hours of footage and then they they turn it into something that's like two hours long like how do you decide mm. uh what that is like that is that is an art form so beyond my understanding <laughs> that <laughs> you know i i really really don't uh know it's magic as far as i'm concerned um yeah. and there's a uh I will not repeat it on the show um, as it would require an explicit tag, but Patton Oswalt has a really good bit in one of his specials. I think it's Annihilation uh, where he talks about editing in movies and how it's magic, but he also talks about um, why a lot of editors are women um, because I think, you know, we see that a lot. A lot of the greatest editors of all time are female. Mm -hmm. And uh, his bit is, like I said, not safe for the podcast, but if you look it up, it's pretty funny <laughs> um, <laughs> about why that happens. But it's 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 always fascinated me that, like, a lot of the, the greatest movies of all time are because, I mean, 100% because of the editing. Um, and it, it's always fascinated me that a lot of it is a lot of the, the, the people editing these films are women and they get nowhere near the credit that a lot of the, the men behind the camera, uh, get. And that's sad. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm completely with you there. And I mean, the the greatest editor of all time uh, is yeah. Selma Shoemaker, who yep. does all of Scorsese's films. So yep. there is absolutely something in that. And I think that <laughs> this has just reminded me of a conversation I had with my dad over Christmas because we were watching it's always on just during the christmas period i think so we were watching the sound of music which is a a long ass long, film yeah and uh <clears throat> we were talking about like what or my dad was like oh what oscars did this win and then i obviously went to imdb and looked it up and i was like oh it won for best film editing and my dad was like how <laughs> not not to be like flippant or anything but it was just kind of like i then was trying to explain in a very basic <laughs> basic way without the the sort of expertise that a lot of other people would have but the i think that's a misconception that editing isn't just obvious so everyone else this is going to seem like very very basic but like editing is not you know putting something together or constructing something to be a certain length or something being you know like you said 100 hours of shot footage and we've got to edit this down to three hours two and a half hours hour and a half or whatever the the films whatever they want the length to be it's constructing of the story and putting it together yeah. in a way that gets the most out of that footage that has been shot. Hopefully that makes sense. That's what I tried to explain. <laughs> I didn't explain to my dad yeah. anyway. He wasn't like, he wasn't, he's, he knows enough that he wasn't, you know, kind of making a serious point. But I was like, well, you know, actually, like, it isn't, you know, a, a long film can can have very very good editing in it i mean a lot of scorsese's films really really long yep. uh you know he's had a lot of like around three hour mark films i mean irishman that was like pushing three hours right and yet the editing in his film is fantastic and i like as much as i dislike really really long films because i have a short attention span when i'm in the mood for it <laughs> i really enjoy it because i just think that there's I like to look out for those things, those editing choices, those decisions. And we've spoken about this so much throughout Jaws in terms of the the edit the the editing in this film being so good and being mm-hmm. so powerful in terms of telling this story in the best possible way. And I think it's a it's perhaps not an element of filmmaking that people talk about a lot because you have your people where you know the film that wins the oscar for editing is the film that has lots of edits in it i mean didn't did bohemian rhapsody win or was that like a fever dream <laughs> yeah it won it won best editing. oh no <laughs> and, there's, <laughs> and there's that scene isn't there where like yeah. <laughs> the how many like insane cuts are in that film or the editing of that scene is just absolutely fuck wild and i don't want to you know besmirch this gentleman's good name but achievement in editing is not the most amount of edits or cuts you can fit into a scene but i think sometimes that that flashier style of editing is the thing that gets noticed but the best editing is when you don't notice it unless you're really really looking at it surely (laughs) yeah uh i mean we've talked about it we we must have talked about it on the show because it's the funniest edit to me in history it's (laughs) taken three when liam neeson jumps the fence fence. yeah oh my gosh (laughs) 
yeah, I think I reacted to it in real time as I watched it. Yeah. Um, I'm sure that happens on an episode. Yeah, it's uh, it's 15 cuts in six seconds. Yeah, it's whiplash. <laughs> editing whiplash is what that clip is. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, editing is far more than just a runtime. Uh, mm-hmm. It is... It, it's it's the the it's what sets the tone it's what sets the mood it's what sets the pace um and i mean it, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about last week right like i know it got kind of in the woods film theory about it but that was mm-hmm. eisenstein's whole deal like he was an editor first and foremost yeah. and basically is the reason why editing is the way it is today um and I think that's why people have a hard time with it is because it is kind of esoteric. There's not a right way to do it necessarily. Um, mm. You know, there's like, there, there's no, there's not really any super hard and fast rules of filmmaking besides have a camera and have a, some sound. <laughs> but like, that's it. And like the sound doesn't have to come from the camera. It can be, you know, a, a score laid over it you know, months after you're done shooting it. Um, there's the, the, uh, I think I've talked about this. Yeah. Okay. So there's like the 180 degree rule. Have we talked about that on the podcast? Mm, Potentially. So the 180 degree rule is like, if you have two characters talking, you keep them on the same 180 degree axis. So if you're doing like a shot reverse shot, you're not jumping back and forth over that that imaginary line. Um, this is hard to describe via audio because it's a visual medium. Um, but uh, basically, like, if you have a camera on the left side of someone, you're going to keep it on the left side of those characters while they're talking back and forth. It just creates better continuity that way. But you can break it sometimes to illustrate maybe some moments of unease, some... You know, uh, I think maybe not. I think The Departed does that um, when uh, Jack Nicholson and Leonardo DiCaprio were talking and Nicholson is find found out that there's a rat in the mm. organization. I think it breaks the 180 degree rule a couple of times. But like uh, so Stephen King made Maximum Overdrive and it's an insane movie and it's not a particularly good movie. But uh, <clears throat> he, there was a, a point where he wanted to break the 180-degree rule, but no one told him what the 180-degree rule was, so he didn't know it was a rule. So the cameraman was like, <laughs> hey, you can't break this axis. And he was like, I, I didn't. He says, uh, finally, the cameraman, uh, Danielle Nan- Nanuzi, told me if I broke the 180-degree axis... That simply wasn't done. Although I didn't understand what it was, I grasped the idea that I was breaking a rule. Later on, I called George Romero on the phone and said, what is this axis shit? And he laughed his head off and explained it. And I said, can you break it? Can you break that rule? He said, it's better not to, but if you have to, you can. If you look at the battleship Potemkin, which we talked about last week, which he hadn't seen, it crosses the axis all the time and Eisenstein gets away with it. Then I saw David Lynch and asked him, what's this about crossing the axis? And he burst out laughing and said, that always gets me. And I asked if you could do it. And he gave me this startled look and said, Stephen, you can do anything. You're the director. (laughs) Then he paused and said, but it doesn't cut together right. (laughs) Um, (laughs) 
so there's no there there are like accepted rules but even those are meant to be broken and that's what editing is right it's taking the rules using them and then breaking them when it's applicable Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i that's the thing like there has to be there's like a way of doing things but if you're not gonna do it that way then there has to be a reason for that and i mean i've got no explanation for that that clip from taken or <laughs> any of the editing in bohemian rhapsody <laughs> i can't believe i forgot that i think i just that was a very traumatic oscar ceremony for me it was that, rough that, yeah when that film was just winning everything and i just really had this like i i felt sick that that film was gonna was potentially gonna win best picture and yeah it didn't, did it? I didn't. No. Uh, <laughs> didn't Green Book win that year, though? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, you know, lesser of, well, I don't know what the lesser of <laughs> Many evils. Uh, no, no real great outcome. And that's, yeah. this is why I've erased the entire thing from <clears> my memory, clearly, because I'm just like, did it? Did that thing win? I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's a dark time. We don't talk about it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. The... Uh, the editing in Jaws is so good, though. And I feel like I've... There's been bits that I've picked up on before, but doing it in in this way, I think that if you're just watching the film all the way through, you're not necessarily going to pick up on the nuances of every single, like, great bit of editing. But when we're, like, really, really drilling down to certain scenes like we're doing here, then I'm I'm really, really picking up on things. And I think... Like I said earlier, I think that is good editing in that you notice it when you're really, really looking for it, but it's not like detrimental to what you're <laughs> to what you're watching. Like yeah. I feel like I pick up on very, very bad editing more than I do very, very good editing. Just because it's more yeah. obvious. Yeah, it's 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 more in your face. There's um there's a couple times where like, I mean, the most famous edit of all time is Lawrence of Arabia, probably, right? Like, that's a very, that's a very flashy edit. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it's the part where he lights a match and then he blows the match out. And as soon as he blows it out, it cuts to a, a, a sunrise in the desert. It's incredible, but it is flashy as hell. Um, it mm. is such an in-your-face edit. And that's, I think that gets at what I'm talking about, where Usually you don't want to notice it, but it's, there's so much like flair to that edit that it's like everyone agrees it's one of the best like cuts of all time. Um, yeah, and it's, um, go ahead. It's 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 like the um, the jump cut in 2001: A Space Odyssey as well, where mm-hmm. it's like mm-hmm. the bone gets thrown up into the air, and then there's like a really like sudden jump cut, and it goes to like the spaceship, and everyone talks about like <laughs> like how great that cut is and it is very noticeable i think it's kind of meant to be yeah and it's it's uh, for that particular moment it serves up it serves the purpose of what that film is doing and being like we've gone from no people no technology like dawn of man to now people are in space like you're meant to sit up and notice that so Yeah, and, you know, uh, Kubrick breaks those kind of rules all the time. Like, that's I think that's what makes him so distinct. Yeah, (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, we were talking off mic about curmudgeonly old directors. Like Kubrick is the king of that. <laughs> um, uh, my favorite subgenre of directors is, <laughs> is curmudgeonly old directors. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. If you want to taste, look up some William Friedkin interviews. The the one where he interviews Nicholas Winding Refn is probably the 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 one you should look at, which uh, is it is very funny. Um, so funny. Also, any of the press Ridley Scott has done in the last year is uh, <laughs> is right for that. Yeah, that man is unhinged. Uh, as we had a very long conversation about this before we started recording, but yeah. I, for something I was writing, was trying to find just a quote from each of the directors who had worked with Adam Driver about Adam Driver being great to back up the things that I was writing in my article. And it was a real slog to try and find something that Ridley Scott said about Adam Driver that wasn't insane. <laughs> <laughs> or surrounded by insanity, sandwiched in insanity. Like it was, yeah. that was many hours work that I spent trying to find that quote. <laughs> well, and it's, it's really funny because of that same class of filmmaker, you have Spielberg, right? Like, mm -hmm. and he's just kind of a quiet old man. Like he doesn't, yeah. he's not particularly opinionated. He's wrong a lot, it seems like, because before I saw something recently, they were doing a featurette on West Side Story, which is a film I loved. It was my favorite movie of 2021. Same. But it, it specifically <laughs> was about <clears throat> why he put Ansel Elgort in the movie. And I was like, wow, mm. you really mm. screwed that one up, Spielberg, because it is hands down the worst male lead performance in any Steven Spielberg movie I've ever seen. <laughs> He's awful in that movie. And it was still better than some anything that's come out in the last two, three years. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I feel like Spielberg was the curmudgeonly old man when he was younger. <laughs> like, yeah. that, that just really, like, <clears throat> do not do not give a shit attitude. He had that when he was, like, starting out. Yeah, <laughs> he, he had that phase. <laughs> yeah, he definitely was really cantankerous uh, at yeah. the beginning and then mellowed out the older he got and the more... <laughs> I think the more, like, kind of serious his, his films got, the more it kind of mellowed out. Like, when he started making, like, Empire of the Sun and Color Purple and mm. Schindler's List and stuff like that. Like, those are films you don't make when you have, like, the energy you have in Jaws. Like, <laughs> that's... <laughs> Those would be very different, very, very, very tonally inconsistent films if if he had that same. Yeah. Um, and then you have Tarantino, who's just been the same his entire career. He's just <laughs> always been the same dude. Yeah, very much so. <laughs> and it's um, it, it's funny because like, and to round out the the kind of film school brat people, uh, Scorsese has become this weird punching bag for the MCU people, and like he he talked about it like once. Two three years ago now. Yeah. When did when did Irishman come out? But he's still like mm -hmm. the go to for people. Like one, the take that Scorsese is an elitist filmmaker is the craziest thing anyone could mm -hmm. say about film. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> but two, he like one, he didn't want to talk about it. He was asked, and uh, other directors who have been asked about it since then have said way worse shit about the MCU. But for some reason, he's become the punching bag, and I don't understand it. Yeah, I I don't get it. I think it's a, I don't want to say easy target, just because I think people know who Martin Scorsese is, so he says one thing, and 
MCU fans can be particularly rabid, I think, when someone yeah. says something negative about that cinematic universe generally. So it's sort of like become a bit of a scapegoat. But my general impression of Martin Scorsese is that he just really freaking loves movies and is yeah. so passionate about about his films and about the films of other people and wasn't there was it him and bon joon ho that had like a really mm-hmm. nice thing and i'm just like the two like purest loveliest souls just sharing a little moment together it really just it warmed my cold dead heart yeah um, so much <laughs> And um, I, so I was at the, when it showed at London Film Festival, the Irishman was like the the closing film. And Scorsese did like the introduction, all the cast were there and everything. And he just still, even now, after all this time, just really speaks so passionately about, about film. Generally, you know, his own, other people's. So I wouldn't put him in that sort of, commercially old man director category that i think people are trying to force him into i think that it's those comments that have just because the mcu is such a big thing it's just made it really easy to go for him yeah well and it it was weird because i kind of saw it bleeding over to spielberg because he released a film that was in competition with uh spidersman and Mm -hmm. uh People were like, people wrote that movie off like it was like this elitist thing when one, it was a remake of the most popular musical film of all time, arguably. And two, Mm -hmm. could you imagine saying Steven Spielberg is this elitist uh, filmmaker? Like that is... That is a huge tell me you haven't seen Jaws Mm. without telling me you haven't seen Jaws. Not even Jaws. (laughs) Fucking Indiana Jones. Any film. (laughs) Jurassic Park. Like, (laughs) what are you talking about? Also... By yeah. the way, uh, that film was released in direct competition with Sp- Spider-Man by the studio that released yeah. Spider-Man. Uh, <laughs> it's a 20th Century Fox movie, which makes it a Disney movie now. Yeah. He strategically <laughs> released it so that Spider-Man would make the most money. It's fine. Yeah. I mean, it sucks, but it's, that's what happened. Like, he didn't strategically, he wasn't like, I'm the big dog going to go up against the MCU it was the studio owns all of it and put everything around their tentpole movie so they would have no competition for it. Mm, yeah. I also don't think Spielberg really cares. He doesn't care at all. <laughs> that film is, it didn't quite do the box office, but if early signs are to be believed, it looks like it is going to be a major awards contender, which I am very happy about because yes. also my favorite film of last year. Yeah, so. and also I think that movie is going to do. And this is I want to make this the mission statement of this episode. Watch that fucking movie; it's so good. <laughs> but uh, I think it's going to be a huge hit on uh, home video. I think yeah. once it becomes available on VOD, people are going to discover that movie like nobody's business um Mm -hmm. i really think that 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 movie is going to have more legs on home video than any other movie released in 2021 Mm -hmm. yeah if if the number of times i have listened to the soundtrack is anything to go by when that film comes out i am never going to watch anything else Um. (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah it's well and it plays directly into like this isn't the west side story cast but i think it's related to spielberg because he's Mm. 
he's he's had so many different eras of his career, right? Like the, there's uh, this obviously the super blockbuster area and the contemplative dramas, and sometimes there's some overlap because freaking Jurassic Park and Schindler's List came out the same year, which is absolute mad lab <laughs> behavior. <Wild>. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know, if you look at his, what was his last movie before? Was it The Post or was it Ready Player One? Uh, Post, I think, was after Ready Player One. Yeah. Okay, so kind of in the same vein, but like Ready Player One did okay, but people don't remember. Like people aren't talking about Ready Player One, you know, because it sucks. But <laughs> it's so bad. <laughs> but West Side Story, it plays into this like early two thousands emo millennial bullshit that we all subscribe to don't act like you didn't if you're around my age (laughs) um and it's like the perfect it's perfect millennial nostalgia even if even though it's a remake of a of a a movie from the 60s because it's romeo and juliet (laughs) and that has always appealed to the the depressed set of uh whatever generation and (laughs) for millennials it was all of us at the same time um Mm -hmm. so i I think a lot of millennial like you know mid middle middle aged i guess you would call it millennial uh folks are gonna find that movie on vod and it's gonna people are gonna be like holy crap this is one of the best movies that's come out in the last decade like yeah it's Mm -hmm. there's no i don't think there's i don't think there's a chance in hell that it it doesn't do huge once it hits vod i'm so excited for that to happen too oh my gosh i was looking up we'll get back to the scene in a in a hot second but i today was looking up like when it is available for pre-order i did that yesterday (laughs) (laughs) yeah i when i had my week off from work i kept trying to find a time that i could go and see it again at the cinema but I just couldn't get the timings to work and I was really upset by this because I was dying to see it again um but yeah I today I was just like when does this film come out because it's the sort of film that I will like pre-order and mm-hmm. if there's some like fancy steelbook yep. special edition you better believe I'm gonna want that 100 <laughs> percent. I don't know the last time I paid full price for a movie it's gonna be yeah, West Side same. Story on 4k I cannot wait for that thing to come out on 4k 100 percent. I I don't have 4k but whatever the, the equivalent that I can buy that is the fanciest and the nicest will be the one that I treat myself to yep um but getting getting back to uh to the scenes are related we're talking spielberg and, yeah. and great editing so it's fine but getting back into um i think some of the character stuff in this scene because there is one of my favorite unspoken hooper and brody moments in this scene and i'm hoping just by me saying that you know exactly what bit i'm i'm talking about but it is when brody says why don't we start leading the shark into shore instead of him leading us out to sea? And they look at each other and they look at Quint and they look back at each other. And it <laughs> says absolutely everything that needs to be said just in that one look. And this is just one of the many, many reasons why I love Jaws so much because you can take so much away like from that, that, you know, the extra line that I'm adding into that is like, oh, well, are you going to tell him? Because I sure as hell am not going to yeah. <laughs> tell him. Or like, are you going to you, you going to be the one to, to, to try and tell him that when he's, you know, in this kind of mood? And it's just such a perfect 
moment the the look exchanged between them the way they sort of both look up at, at quint in sort of you know perfect synchronization almost i just really really love it so many of my favorite jaws moments are these sort of unspoken uh little moments between the characters i just absolutely adore <laughs> yeah it's uh <laughs> it's definitely uh whoa uh do you guys have nose goes in uh so that is so no okay so usually well i've i've only seen this employed not only but i've mostly seen this employed when uh i was a teenager growing up in church and uh we were all shy about praying out loud but someone had to pray over the food if we went out to pizza or whatever um, mm -hmm. So you would say nose goes and everyone would put a finger on their nose and whoever the last person to do it with is the one who had to pray. Um, mm. And this has big nose goes energy, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is if I touch my nose first, you have to tell him. Yeah, <laughs> that's very funny. I think we probably did have an equivalent of that, but I, I can't quite <laughs> recall exactly what that is, but that is basically what they're doing in this moment. <laughs> Also, nose goes pretty useful in a lot of situations, actually. Um, so don't think it is limited <laughs> to just prayer. If you find yourself needing to make a decision about something and you don't want to uh, just say nose goes and touch your nose and then people will catch on and the person who doesn't, well, that's their problem. Yeah, <laughs> I don't make the rules. Uh, that's the nose goes rules. Yep. <laughs> um, um, to kind of bring it back to the editing real quick, I just looked at um, some of Verna Field's other uh, projects. She worked with George Lucas. Mm -hmm. She did. She edited American Graffiti. Um, yeah. And then she edited uh, What's Up Doc and Paper Moon for Peter Bogdanovich. Hmm. Yep. Nice. And Daisy Miller for Peter Bogdanovich. And another Dreyfus film in American Graffiti as well, because he is also... Oh, yeah, he is in that, isn't he? Mm -hmm. I have never seen that start to finish. Really? Mm -hmm. Well, maybe something at some point in the future will change that. Who yep. knows? Uh, <laughs> it's pretty good. Pretty pretty good movie. Oh, wow. She's a, level of, uh, she was a sound person, too? She's a sound editor, too? New favorite person. I mean, already was. But. That's crazy. She did the... <laughs> she did the uh... The only movie on here that I've noticed so far is El Cid, but she was the sound editor on that. That's crazy. Mm. Huh. Amazing. Yeah, I'm I'm really very, very obsessed with, you know, Werner Fields and, and Thelma Shoemaker and those the women who were sort of mm -hmm. working, as you said earlier, in that environment where it was mostly men or or at least, you know, mostly men getting recognition for their for their work. And I just think that it was something I saw, maybe it was a tweet a really, really long time ago where someone was like, think of your favorite film, look up who the editor is, and the chances are it's a woman. And I'm yeah. just like, yeah, it is. <laughs> Um, I mean, oh, there's, oh, 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 uh, oh, I gotta look something up. Okay. Dang it. Okay. Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I learned about this in film school and I might have this wrong. It might have been, uh, a, 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 a male director who, who did this. Um, oh, one more Google search, uh, early silent film cat drinking milk 
Maybe it was the Lumiere brothers. I want to say there was there was some there was some early film. A lot of early film was made by women. Um, so there's uh, the the the. I'm gonna keep that tab open because it's crazy and I want to talk about it. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna find this woman's name. It's driving me crazy. Okay, I have this box set too. Um, Five minutes later. Yes. Okay. So, um, Alice Guy Blanche, she was a French filmmaker, so I know I screwed that up, but she made the first narrative fiction film. Um, I don't remember what it was, uh, but I had to watch it. It was like, it was very, very, very short film. Um, she was just also one of the first filmmakers as just in general. Um, <clears throat> uh, looks like the Fairy of the Cabbages, which I will not try to pronounce the French name of, but 1896. So mm-hmm. she, uh, yeah, she, uh, she did a lot. Um, and there's actually, uh, on this, so Kino Lorber has, has a Pioneers First Woman Filmmakers, the first disc of it is a bunch of Alice Key Blosh movies. Um, and it's, it's the whole first disc is her. And then this too is Lois Weber, um, which is, she was also a huge player, um, I think from America in that. So if you look at the history of film, and I know a lot of people like to point to like Mary Pickford because she started a studio or whatever. Um, she helped start United Artists, but the, the, the history of film is tied up in women with cameras. Um, even like mm-hmm. there were, there were arguably more women directing films then than there are now, which is wild to think about. Um, mm-hmm. or at least high profile, uh, you know, films. Um, yeah, which so, makes it even more insane when you look at like yeah. how few uh, women have won like best directing Oscars, yeah. <laughs> yeah, or even been nominated. <laughs> um, so uh, to uh, I was trying to find there's and this is a Lumiere Brothers movie, so it was two men. I was trying to find the first movie that had a close up, which I think was a Lumiere Brothers movie with a cat in it, and it's like a cat. It like cuts between, or maybe it's parallel editing. There's like a, there was some editing technique with a cat. Um, and it was basically <laughs> a cat wanting milk and mm-hmm. it showed the milk and then it cut to the cat and then it cut to like a close up of the cat and then it cut to a close up of the milk and then it cut to the owner putting the cat in front of the milk or something like that. I don't super remember. Uh, but I Googled film with a close up of a cat and the first three results are. The cat from Captain Marvel, the cat from Alien, and Judy Dench and cats. <laughs> <laughs> Not Judy Dench. <laughs> oh, well, I was not expecting that. That's super funny. <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's uh... a. <laughs> I was like, okay. Okay, Google. Why? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, no one needs to see that uh, horrifying image of uh, Judy Dench in Cats, which lives rent-free in my nightmares. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that is the point of the film, right? 
Mm-hmm. But cats, cats are not yeah. dogs. <laughs> I don't know how to screenshot on a Mac, so I just took a picture and put it in the Discord. <laughs> well, uh, sad that we didn't find the the thing that you were looking for, but glad that <laughs> somehow we get Judy Dench and cats into into the podcast. She'll find a way. Yeah. Uh, also, that's the cat like from Inside Lewin Davis, not the cat from oh, a- yeah. Alien. <laughs> <laughs> I was when you said close up of cat, I was thinking of the the shot in Alien with the cat. So yeah. <laughs> Somewhere on the right track. Um I there's something I wanted to talk about in this scene that I think ties into a lot of what we've spoken about recently in terms, well, I say recently, for quite a while now, it seems, about the the group dynamics. Um mm. and a hopefully interesting observation that that i made in that in all of these sort of um i did call them close encounters in my in my notes but in all of these sort of closing <laughs> close encounters with the with the shark so far that each person has made an error of judgment that has then sort of had implications mm-hmm. on, on what they've decided to do next so the first is is hooper spending too long faffing around with the the trackers and, the, and they miss the the crucial shot and then quint uh, immediately forgetting his own advice about the the rope and it sort of cuts through his hand and in this one we get Brody apparently just forgetting that Hooper exists uh for a second and as he is sort of grabbing grabbing the rope to to tie it around the the cleat as Quint has instructed him to do he instead of going in front of Hooper he goes behind Hooper and sort of inadvertently uh traps Hooper in the rope which side note looks very painful yeah um but also <laughs> very small thing i noticed as well like not only does uh brody just forget that uh that that hooper exists prior to that he's really sloppy with with the rope and the pole that he is using to sort of snag the rope and the pole gets caught on the rope as he is bringing it around hooper and he just sort of throws the pole and that that pole is real close to like potentially going overboard. So he's mm-hmm. really not super focused on, on the task at hand here. Um, but what I wanted to talk about is this group dynamics thing. And obviously I think this, this ties into that where even though we have seen that they have been performing very well as a group and we've we've mentioned that over the last couple of weeks that sort of role reversal between hooper and quint that was interesting and how that beautiful move of of quint sort of twirling around the side of the boat and being exactly where he needed to be all really really great examples of them actually working very well together as a team Mm -hmm. now but yet these sort of like small little things like keep happening and i think it's relevant that each person sort of has a mistake that they that they make as well so it's not you know all the blame pinned on one person but was going to sort of like ask ask you you know what do you think this says about these group dynamics at this stage and obviously you knowing a bit more about that than i do this it isn't as clear cut as you get to the performing stage and then everything works perfectly as i think we're seeing in this in this bit yeah i i mean i I, I was thinking about that moment and like, does it mean something in the context of uh, anything larger in the film? And I think it does sort of in the point that you brought up about the group dynamics, but I also think that um, it could just be like a really wonderfully human moment 
that we mm-hmm. don't get in a lot of movies. And we've talked about this that we don't get in a, in a lot of movies these days and not to be like a, they don't make them like they used to type of guy, but uh, <laughs> they, you know, I, if you've got the fast and furious movies where there's like contracts that Vin Diesel never gets hurt um, <laughs> versus something like this, where like, I think everyone understands how that mistake could happen. Mm-hmm. Um, you just had a super high adrenaline chase with this shark uh, you're running on little to no sleep. Um, the guy you're out on the boat with has just snapped entirely from PTSD, which, you know, he needs some grace in that, but also I'm sure is very scary. <laughs> and uh, the the shark is hunting you, legit attacking your vessel um, like a criminal, like what Burley's used to. Um, it's just a very like intense situation. So he's trying his best, but he's not going to get it right a hundred percent of the time. And I think it's a, just a really wonderfully human moment of they're performing and he gets the knot right. Um, like he doesn't screw that up, mm-hmm. but in that he's a little careless. He's a little, you know, off guard. He's, he's not paying as much attention as you should be, which if you're on a boat, you really need to be paying attention to every little thing because a lot can go wrong um, when you're on the the sea like that, especially with a, a vessel like this that's on its kind of its last legs uh, <laughs> as it is. So I think it's just a, a really great moment of like they're there, but they're not professionals except for this, you know, well, two of them are professionals uh, mm. at being on a boat, but the, you know, the amateur is going to screw up and he his heart was in the right place. God bless him is kind of the, 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 the tone of it. Um, but that's, you know, I, I think it doesn't mean anything more than that. Like, I don't think it's symbolic of anything else. I think it's just like, Hey, people are going to screw up and, uh, that's fine. Mm. Yeah. I think it's, I, I like the, I mean, I'm sure there's been other bits as well that I've, I've not sort of picked up on, but just each, you know, where they've had, uh, either the shark has has just appeared and then this happens as a a result of it or they're trying actively to try and get the shark that each one of them sort of has a moment or makes a mistake and i think that it is even though we've had you know all the foreshadowing about quint and we kind of know that that he's gonna be the one to die obviously we know that because we've seen the film before Mm -hmm. um but it is also you know it could be still at this stage any one of them and Hooper does have a very, very near miss and Brody also comes very close to to not making it himself. And it's like, not one of these guys is perfect. Like every single one of them has done something that has been costly in some way or potentially meant that they, you know, weren't able to, to get the shark in that moment or it's been something that has caused them or another person some some kind of injury or some kind of harm so i think just just showing that that you know like you were saying that they that they are human that they make mistakes is really important and showing each one of them making a mistake you know a mistake or multiple mistakes along the way is if anything just makes us like or relate to the characters more because Mm -hmm. i don't love a film where someone is just I famously dislike films that uh, I call them Terminator style films where the person just cannot be hurt. Nothing bad can happen to them. Mm -hmm. 
everything they do they're just like a like a perfect like killing machine and they can never be defeated because i'm just like what's the point (laughs) i just get i just get quite irritated by that as a concept so not a big fan of superman as you can imagine because Mm -hmm. i'm just like well he can do everything he's the most (laughs) powerful person in the world like what what element of threat is there in, in this film and i know i'm being facetious so please please don't come for me superman fans um but i think just yeah i i like that we see all of them you know screw things up and and mess things up in a way and it's something you were saying actually about um about hoop uh, not hooper uh, brody's adrenaline levels sort of being really really high um at this point having just had that that chase sequence with the with the shark and him firing the the gun at it as well has kind of made me see Brody in this scene in a slightly different way so I just wanted wanted to flag that because the bit at the beginning when he's like they're up again and he's like backing out of there like something is on fire and is kind of you know trying to get as far away from the side of the boat as he can I've always been like oh you know he's he's feeling fearful or or you know he's he's scared so he's backing away like he has done previously but I there's something different about the way he's he's acting this time and I think that rather than him being fearful he is like running on very very high adrenaline right now and because you know he his voice is raised like when he says that as well and he just appears to be quite tense and rather than sort of like making that mistake with the rope because he is you know not focused or is or is feeling scared or fearful or whatever i think it is sometimes when your adrenaline levels are that high you're not really like super thinking <laughs> thinking straight you're just kind of like i gotta put that rope around this thing and that's the thing i need to do and that's the thing that i can do and handle in this moment because there's a lot of other things in this what is happening right now that i cannot handle um so yeah that's that's kind of made me see see Brady in a bit of a different way in this scene, which I think is interesting. Yeah. Um, did you have anything else? Mm-mm. Nope. <laughs> Not specifically on that anyway. <laughs> oh, okay. Did you have anything else for this scene? Um, let me check, check my notes. I mean, the only other thing is <laughs> that I've got written down anyway, is the, the resignation of Hooper when he says, now what? Um, I just quite enjoy and I think it's again like we've sort of seen a a different Brody in this scene where he's sort of like full of adrenaline and not really knowing what to do with all that energy that he that he has um and sort of being on that high alert this is quite a different side of of Hooper as well just this sort of like you know now what's happening kind of thing (laughs) kind of thing like that excitement uh enjoying the chase and and seeing the sharks and being up close to them is is really fading away like he's really becoming more like quint as every day passes i think (laughs) in terms of just he's you know he's one can of ganser away from being a a salty sea dog like quint is (laughs) yeah um by the way uh this is the only other thing i have uh, Jaws is very good training for being a stagehand because that knot uh, that you see tied around the the cleat the the I think it's called a hitch a cleat hitch um, mm-hmm. that's what they use to secure like curtains in the theater as well. There's usually like a 
like a like a, a cleat that looks all it looks it, it exactly the same it's just vertical usually um mm. and then you tie that same knot around that and then twist it and it'll lock itself off like exactly like Quint says so you learned over under and you learned the cleat hitch uh for that mm-hmm. so you know everything you need to know about setting up and tearing down a stage um, <laughs> <laughs> it's a real uh niche side of jaws but look we found it we found yeah <laughs> something for everyone well and it's funny just the crossover that it has with like nautical stuff right like it's, yeah sure i've never i've never <laughs> noticed that uh in in the film before until now where it's like hey i i use those things mm. <laughs> i'm not on you're the like, ocean yeah you're like could i could i be a sailor <laughs> i am also one can of gansett away from being a salty sea yes. <laughs> Gamsit, if you're listening, uh, <laughs> please send the crate that will yep. t- tip MJ over the edge <laughs> to become an salty sea dog. <laughs> I've already listened to like a lot of Flogging Molly, so mm, mm-hmm. and that's basically pirate music. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Also, I know this is like a, a, a big old cliche, but I am imagining like in a future episode, you just coming on and your greeting being like, ah, Jim Boy or something <laughs> like, like who thought he's yeah. taking the mick out of Quinn. <laughs> or uh, or Quinn when he's, uh, when he's leaving for the, the thing and he's like, yo-ho, 12 minutes, what does he say? 18 men on a oh, dead man's chest or whatever. Yeah. Yoho and a bottle of rum. Yeah. That's going to be the new sign offline. He's like, oh, yeah. it's happened. MJ has become. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's finally become Quint. Well, we knew this was going to happen. The warning signs were there, but. Uh... <laughs> yep. Uh, also, speaking of Gansett, if you watch the new Jack White video, he drinks a can of Gansett with the label obscured. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you sent me that. I've not looked it up, but that's very funny. <laughs> uh, it made me laugh. Like, I I definitely turned into the Leonardo DiCaprio pointing mm-hmm. uh, thing, mm-hmm. where it's just like, hey, <laughs> wait a minute. I've seen that can. <laughs> yep. They posted about it, too. I think, I honestly think I alerted them to that happening. Um, <laughs> because I tweeted... Uh, Jack White 100% drinks against it with the the label obscured. And then they liked my tweet and responded with a winky face. And then on Instagram, they posted a shot from the video like half an hour after my tweet. And they were like, if you need us, we'll be in the new Jack White video. (laughs) I think this means you're now an influencer. I work for them now, I think. (laughs) Yep, you are paid in cans of Gansett. Uh, much like Quint appears to be. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's I. I, I got nothing. I got nothing else. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there he is. He looks so sad. Why would you be? Well, in, he's locked in the building in the in the context of the video. Mm, okay, so and he's like. This can doesn't have a, a label on it. I'm yeah. Sad about that. Yeah. <laughs> because we couldn't pay Gansett for the rights to their logo. Yeah. That's written all over his face, to be honest. It's just like, oh, if only mm-hmm. I paid for the rights. <laughs> yep. 
If only I'd paid for the Gantlet right. If only. <laughs> On that note, uh, Sarah, do you have anything to plug besides Gantlet? Uh, I was going to say, we have done enough uh, mentioning of Gantz on this that I think that uh, we should get even more stuff. They yep. are sending us some stuff, which is which is very kind. Uh, yes, but, we did. Yeah. I received a care package of, mm-hmm. of stuff. So update on that. Um, I got a t-shirt and a pin and a bumper sticker. And Sarah got the same thing. She should be getting mm-hmm. them within the next week or so. Very, very excited. Well, maybe when, uh, well, yeah, when mine come and it's all like nicely wrapped and everything, I will pop up a picture on the yep. on the twitter so people can see our very cool swag which we're very grateful for this is the first like swag that we have received uh yeah. from this podcast so very exciting uh development um things to plug i'll plug it again uh i mentioned it last week but i was on an episode of uncut gems podcast talking about sorcerer and it is a long chat it's about two and a half hours but really really good uh conversation that we had talking about that film i love talking about sorcerer (laughs) i don't know if that's obvious from all the times Mm -hmm. i've mentioned it on this podcast but a really really interesting film to dive into in in that level of detail and if you like conversations about curmudgeonly old directors (laughs) as we have had uh, a little bit on this episode then we talk a lot about uh hurricane billy and the wild things that he said uh before during after <laughs> making sorcerer um and just some of the hilarious the particularly hilarious uh special feature that is on the blu-ray which is him talking to uh nicholas winden Refn, which is comedy gold i will describe it as um but yeah we, we do mention that on the episode um so give that a listen do I think, you, uh, yeah do you mention that he has an amazon account and the only thing he's done is give the dvd of sorcerer a one-star review because the transfer is bad oh my gosh <laughs> no we don't mention that but that's exquisite i love that so much <laughs> he's like i made this and it sucks yeah <laughs> Well, the transfer sucks, not the film. The yeah. film is excellent. <laughs> Although he did say very mean things about Roy Scheider. So uh, uh, on on my list for that reason, freaking <laughs> <laughs> being mean to our boy. <laughs> um, let me pull up the... Yeah. <laughs> William Friedkin reviewed a product April 21st, 2014, Sorcerer on DVD. This is still not the remastered DVD. That doesn't come out until August 5th. This is terrible. Don't buy. One star, the <laughs> title of the review is This is Terrible. Don't Buy. <laughs> oh my goodness. King I'm... shit. <laughs> really, really is. I... Oh, I still I haven't watched in full the the sorcerer special feature, but having spoken about it in so much detail on the on the Uncut Gems episode, I am I'm really dying to watch it in full. Um, I've watched a lot of clips from it now, mm. which I am obsessed with, um, because he's just really very very mean to Nicholas Winding Refn, which I find very funny. <laughs> <laughs> he just doesn't care. Oh, well, I love it. Nicholas Winding Raffing <laughs> could uh, take himself a little less seriously, I feel like. 
Yeah, I mean, if you're gonna describe Only God Forgives as a as a masterpiece, I feel like he deserved what came to him after that comment. Yes, <laughs> and I like that movie more than I like Drive. I think it's his best movie, but what? <laughs> and then, like, it says something negative about Citizen Kane as yeah. well, and it's just like, yeah, you can imagine the response. So um, after you've listened to that episode of, of Uncut Gems, then... I absolutely go and watch that as well or just look up mad lad things that uh William Friedkin has said because there is no shortage <laughs> yep um speaking of mad lads uh I am going to be on a James Bond podcast oh I don't think that's out yet um I don't know when that'll be out I'm gonna talk about Moonraker exciting because jaws uh that's a, that's a, why they asked me to be on that episode um so yeah it's called the bond we share i'm gonna shout them now because they don't have a lot of followers and they need more um it's a james bond themed podcast of a couple friends of mine um that I know from Twitter, and they reached out and were kind enough to ask me to be on for the Moonraker episode, which is a buckwild-ass James Bond movie, if you haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. He goes to space at the end. Um, <laughs> and it features Jaws, the character of Jaws. Uh, it is not his first uh, 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 appearance, but it's actually it's his last appearance, I believe, mm-hmm. um, because he finds love at the end. Oh man, I've not watched that film in a minute, but I remember it being dreadful. <laughs> uh, yeah, it ain't great. Not no. a great one. <laughs> but he does go to space. Yes. Who's and the bad that. guy in that movie? Uh, I was going to say Jaws, but I don't. <laughs> Drax? Hmm. Maybe I it's probably been about at least twenty years since I last watched that. <laughs> yeah, Hugo Drax, huh. Michael Michael okay. Lonsdale, mm. an industrialist who plans to poison all humans on Earth, then repopulate the planet from his space station. <laughs> <clears throat> sure. Um, so yeah, I'm talking about Moonraker, which. I'm really looking forward to because that movie is insane. Um, Shirley Bassey did the theme song for it. Good, It's got a good theme song to it. But uh, yeah, uh, The Bond We Share. I think it's just at The Bond We Share on... Uh, uh, I just tagged them in the $300 teddy bear this morning. At, at Bond We Share Cast. Uh, you can follow them on Twitter because they're, I think they're under 100 followers, which... It, no, they just crossed 100 followers, but... Um, yeah, go give them a follow and then you'll be alerted when my episode comes up. Um, other than that, Beard Owl podcast that I episode, episode that I edited is still available. It's with Weird Owl fans under 25. That's B-E-E-R apostrophe D. Owlcast uh, is is out and it's it's just, it's a lovely, lovely episode of a podcast. It's, it's very nice. If you're a Weird Owl fan, uh, it did my heart a lot of good and then sent me on the biggest Weird Al kick I've had probably since high school. Um, <laughs> I've been listening to a lot of that man's music, and it has everything to do with 
just the joy coming out of those young fans. So um, it's uh, if you like liking stuff, that's a really good episode to listen to. Oh, uh, last thing, as far as plug stuff goes, Harley still wants your yums. Uh, I'll let him take it from there to explain what what he's talking about. Um, take it away, Harley. Thanks very much, MJ. Hi, Harley here from the Fundamentals podcast. So what is this all about, the yums? For those of you who don't know, it's really simple. I was on an episode of this wonderful podcast a while back, and during which we got a little bit silly and we came up with a parody song idea uh, that's called Eat Somebody based off the song Use Somebody by Kings of Leon. And for some reason, I've decided to go ahead and try and create this song. I am in the process of sorting it and mixing it as we speak. But the one thing that I need to make it extra special is your help, dear listener. All I need is for you to send me you singing the words, yum. It's that simple. And you just need to hit these notes. Now that's just a simple MIDI keyboard example of what I'm after. It's, uh, it's in the key of C, so those are the notes that I'm after. But if you're listening to this and you feel a bit intimidated by that, you think, I'm not sure if I can get that exactly right, don't stress too much. You can always contact me and I can send you that little file uh, as something to sing against. Or if you just want to go for it and you're not sure where you're hitting your notes, again, don't stress about it. I have had all sorts of entries and I've got ways of editing that and mixing it all together. The important thing is I just want you guys to have fun. And the more people that do it, the better this is going to sound. So for more details on where to send me the yums, well, I'll hand back over to MJ. Um, you can you can email those to fundamentalspod at yahoo.com. It's F-A-N-D-O-M-E-N-T-A-L-S pod at yahoo.com. And he'll take care of it. You heard him explain it. Um, but he'll take care <laughs> of it from there after you send it to him. Uh, if you want to follow us on social media, you can follow the show at Jaws for a Minute, uh, where we post updates and clips from the show. You can also follow us on Finstagram under the same name, at Jaws for a Minute. Um, if you want to follow us on Twitter, at Sarah Buttery, S-A-R-A-H-B-U-D-D-E-R-Y, and at MJSmith891 on Twitter as well. Um, if you want to email the show if you're not on social media, you can send an email to jawsforaminute at gmail.com. Um, if you want to support the show, you can always give us a rating and a review and a subscription on your podcatcher of choice. Spotify has star rating reviews now. Um, you have to have listened to at least one episode of the show. Um, and then you can rate us uh, whatever you want to rate us, preferably five stars. Uh, not one. Do not tell us we have a bad transfer. Um <laughs> William Freakin reviews this episode. <laughs> One star, they said nasty things about me. <laughs> uh, yep. Um, <laughs> the episode that William Freakin gave one star to. Uh, yeah. <laughs> maybe we can get William Freakin on the podcast. <laughs> I'm going to try. <laughs> I would love that. Yeah, um, me too. Oh, I also I want to plug our own episode. Actually, uh, the bonus episode interview with AJ from Squalus. Uh, it was a real good time. We got a lot of good feedback on it. You guys seem to enjoy it. So, 
Um, we're working on getting him on uh, in the limited episodes we have left that don't have a guest. Um, but yeah, he'll probably be back if not to talk about something else. Um, yeah, go listen to that. It was really fun. I'm also sad that Sarah couldn't be there. Mm, I had a really good time listening to that interview, though. It was weird to listen to an, in- <laughs> to an episode that I wasn't a part of, but it was he's a such i just really enjoyed listening to to him talk about uh, the music and his love for jaws mm-hmm. he's super super passionate um about the film and also at the his store that he mentioned i was mm-hmm. then like looking at their online store and those shirts are very cool yep. um so i would recommend people check that out as well yep um if you want to support the show monetarily there's a couple ways you can do that you can donate to us on our coffee page um it's a minimum $3 donation. You can get to that through our link tree, which is in our bio on both Twitter and Finstagram. Um, and if you do that, you'll be entered to into a drawing for a piece of merch. So a $3 buy-in gets you potentially a $20 piece of merch. Um, you can also buy merch if you would like on our uh, Public and Redbubble, once again, link in our bio. Um, there's two designs you can choose from and they're both great. And speaking of our great designs, you can follow Alex, our um, graphic designer, at HexShadow on Twitter. Uh, and if you like our theme song, which you should, because it rules, uh, you can follow at Kristen Falls Music on Instagram. And there is a link in our link tree to buy the song. And there's a link in her link tree to buy the song. It both leads to the same spot, the same Bandcamp page. Um, so... Or you could just go on Bandcamp and search Kristen Falls and find it that way. I think it's like a buck 29 for that. So, uh, yeah, that's it. Until next time, it's Jaws O'Clock Somewhere.